Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, folks. So the state of Florida petitioned the Food and Drug Administration to allow them to import millions of dollars worth of medications from Canada because they recognize that they can get them at far lower prices. And it seems as though they have the public support. A 2019 poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation, a nonprofit health research group, found that 80% of respondents favored importation from licensed Canadian pharmacies. The uh, FDA has really kind of resisted this on many fronts, and Florida was able to achieve it only as a, as a result of the court saying that they had to approve this application because they had delayed and delayed and delayed for far too long. The real question is, is, is there the capacity in Canada to really supply uh, the United States? The state of Florida is a little bit more than half uh, the size of the entire country of Canada. Here to talk to us about all of these issues, Mary Olson, Tulane economist and healthcare policy expert. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this obviously is a very popular issue amongst folks. I know many anecdotal stories of patients who uh, could buy drugs from Canada for about 25% of the cost of what it would be here in the United, Sp- United States, especially those drugs that are not on someone's uh, pharmacy list or uh, approved list of medications with their insurance companies or otherwise. Where does this go from here? It seems as though uh, Florida breaks the glass ceiling and a number of other states are lined up behind them. You're, you are correct that it's, a, it's certainly a popular idea with patients who are kind of frustrated with high drug prices and the increases we've seen over time and kind of a lack of, a lack of ability of policy to try to curb that. And so the prospect of getting cheap drugs from Canada is, you know, has overwhelming support. But in terms of what you know, Florida's been able to do, which is you know, kind of very positive for them in terms of trying to seek out solutions uh, to this important problem, you know, it does face a lot of challenges in terms of the actual implementation. So what would be some of the headwinds for them? Well, for one, Canada's against it. So they are certainly not crazy <laughs> about, uh, you know. Uh, the That's a pretty big themselves. one, right? Yeah, that's a pretty big one. Canada's against it. Because if, if, if drugs are leaving their country, uh, you know, that means they might face shortages. 
It also might mean that they might ultimately face higher drug prices themselves, um, as, as firms are also against this idea and would not be happy with uh, wholesalers in Canada selling drugs to the U.S. At, at much cheaper prices than what they could get if they sold them in the U.S. directly. And in fact, Canada has already passed uh, protectionist legislation there, and I think they even have some on the table now that's being considered as well, right? Yeah, they they passed uh, uh, you know kind of a, just an initial uh, piece of legislation that said that uh, the, the 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 sale to the U.S. could not go through if it would cause a shortage of the drug in Canada. And so it's kind of a weak piece of legislation, but you can imagine as the pressure and the demand increases from the U.S. that that they might respond with uh, with stricter legislation or even ultimately uh, think about removing the, you know, kind of the wholesaler from the approved list in Canada, uh, which is something that the FDA requires for this program to work. So, uh, uh... And the next step, though, is going to be what here? I mean, we hear a lot about the pharmacy benefit managers, kind of this, I guess, legalized monopoly and the way that this works and and their assessment of supply, demand, trying to create enough, uh, I guess, economic oomph to uh, be able to fund and finance R&D. Is there a happy medium that we can reach here? Well, it's been challenging over time. Um, and, you know, the main reason is that uh, drug firms don't face a lot of competition and they are able to set prices that well exceed kind of uh, the cost of producing those drugs. And, and you know, for those reasons, it, it's been challenging uh, for a place like the U.S., which has different kinds of insurance systems, right? Private insurance cover most of the working age people and private insurers have been responsible for for dealing with these drug companies, right, to be able to get the drugs they need to supply the people who they insure. And that's where the PBMs came in, is that that task became overwhelming for the insurance company. And so they contracted out to more specialist organizations, these pharmacy benefit benefit managers, which, which conduct that function. So they are the ones that directly negotiate with the pharmaceutical firms to get good prices um, and secure kind of rebates uh, for the delivery of those benefits to whatever insurance plan they are working with. And so, uh, you know, that's been the way that we, you know, that, that the insurance company has been able to try to contain drug spending over time is relying on these PBMs to use their kind of leverage in the market, their bargaining clout to secure some kind of a discount, right? And but hasn't that really contributed to the frustration? Because that brings about a situation where you have a di- very dynamic formulary, right? So it behooves the insurance company to go with the drug, which is the one that they can get the bet that the PBMs can get the best deal on, and put that on their formulary. People get uh, acclimated to that other medication, and they find that every year their medications are changing. Some they do That's very, very well on, others they don't, they don't do very well on. And it seems as though, I mean, it, that seems to be one of the major contributors to consumer frustration. 
Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Uh, consumers can be increasingly frustrated with the complexity, really, of this issue because one of the ways that the PBMs use to, you know, get discounts is to promise kind of more um, advantageous placement on the formulary, right? So that more people will will be taking the drug, and they, if they are able to, you know, kind of promise that, they are able to secure a bigger discount. But what you said is correct, right? So every time these contracts are renegotiated, there might be changes, and that can frustrate upset consumers. And the other, you know, kind of the other aspect about this that is frustrating uh, to consumers and even the insurance industry to some extent is. You know, that process is not really transparent uh, about, you know, what what is negotiated, what these rebates are, uh, you know, what all these deals are and how how it works out um, uh, to affect the bottom line. And so that that lack of transparency has generated a lot of you know scrutiny and, and criticism uh, by policymakers as well. I have really. Uh started to see more direct marketing from the producers of the drug manufacturers themselves to the consumers. Is that as a result of this level of frustration that's out there? And in fact, you know, there's big enormous and other and others that are being offered directly from the drug manufacturer. Uh, You know, that's been evolving over time. I mean, uh, I think prior to 1997, drug firms weren't allowed to directly advertise to to the consumer. They mainly focus their efforts on, you know, on physicians and and marketing to them, detailing efforts. But after 1997, there were some policy changes made that allowed firms to run these ads. In fact, I heard one just waiting for you today. (laughs) You you see them everywhere. They're in Super Bowl. I mean, there's so many of these drug ads. And, um, you know, that is that is also kind of a controversial practice. That's not done everywhere. Um, and some people believe that that, you know, I, I mean, it might have some positive aspects in terms of alerting people about new medicines. It might have some negative aspects in terms of leading to higher costs uh, for, for those drugs and, and consumers being kind of insistent on getting, you know, one brand name over something that might be cheaper. Um, so it's, it's kind of a controversial practice, but it certainly adds to cost. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that it is contributing uh, really to the to the desire to have these high drug prices from firms. So if Florida achieves success and obviously the pharmaceutical industry is going to attack this from many different fronts, does, does, could this potentially end up uh, as a constitutional in, issue of interstate commerce or any number of, uh, of other impediments that they try to place here? I don't, I don't see it as, I mean, policymakers have, have created this path, right? I think the initial legislation mm-hmm. was all the way back in 2003 under the Bush administration. And, you know, no one has kind of followed this path since that time. And then things began to change in 1919, and the FDA actually created a rule where states or other entities could you know, apply for this program to be able to import these drugs. And then just, you know, as soon as that rule was was finalized, several states jumped on the bandwagon, and Florida has been the first one to get it. So I don't see it as a constitutional issue. I see it more as, you know, an issue that's going to be shut down uh, from from either, you know, the, the side where uh, these drugs are, you know, coming from, Canada, or, um, or, or, or kind of the industry arguing that, 
specific elements of the program can't possibly be satisfied, you know, that you can guarantee that these drugs are safe or um, that the uh, the state has has fulfilled all the requirements that are listed in this, um, you know, in, in this in this rule. Uh, the other challenge I see with respect to um, the, the program is that, you know, Canada is, as you said, is roughly, you know, 40 million people uh, and we're just so much bigger. There's no way yeah. that they can, you know, supply our country with drugs to to solve these problems. And the program in Florida is not targeted broadly at, you know, at all people with private insurance. It, it is a relatively small program, but still, right. um, you know, if it starts in one state and 10 other states jump on the bandwagon, I mean, that's going to escalate pretty quickly. And so, you know, just relying on Canada is not is not a feasible option. So, you know, the has, program would need to has, be expanded. Has the federal government kind of contributed to this momentum, though, and opening up this thought process of Medicaid and Medicare negotiating with pharmaceutical companies for lower pharmacy prices? I mean, that was prohibited before, right? And um, they have yeah, ten, under, they have ten drugs on the list now. Okay, uh, a lot yeah, of people you're think that about it's Medicare. Medicare, yeah. 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 So Medicare, uh, you are exactly right that when that legislation was passed in 2003, interesting, that legislation creating Medicare Part D, which provides prescription drug coverage to the elderly, was passed in the same year that they initially created this legislation, you know, introducing the prospect of importation. But in that legislation that created Part D, there was a clause that said the government is prohibited from negotiating drug prices. Uh, for Medicare Part D drugs. And that provision has has held all these years until, uh, you know, recent legislation was passed that created this kind of um, very small incremental but kind of monumental change that said Medicare is going to begin, you know, negotiating with like 10 of the highest kind of expenditure drugs in Medicare this year and and then kind of increase that to another 10 next year. And I think it'll ultimately be 50 drugs. So, you know, there yeah. are, I think it reflects this idea, like people are trying to solve this problem on a number of different fronts and they're just not sure, uh, you know, what the best path forward is. And there's also great conflict um, over what the best path forward is to rein in Absolutely. high drug prices. Well, the healthcare economy is one of the most bastardized economies I've ever seen, where your fiercest mm-hmm. competitor can be your best, you know, ally. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's just kind of strange. It's a, it runs counter to a lot of business principles that you learn in, in college or, or you know, otherwise. It, it, I, it is a unique industry, and very, you know, the institutions that we have there are just you don't see those institutions in other markets. Uh, I mean, PBMs. No, that, and, uh, I mean, all the all the and then the, the level of regulation. Right. There's there's a lot of no, regulation absolutely. that makes it difficult, uh, you know, to kind of uh, for kind of normal people to understand and follow all these different arguments. So it's important for people to try to figure this out. No doubt. Now, I'm going to love ch- uh, being able to check back with you on this issue as it kind of goes through the maturation process here to see where we end up and, and what direction we're going. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate your time and your insight. Okay, well, th- thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Mary Olson, Tulane economist and healthcare policy expert. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.